Love a rugby league same-game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet's same-game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. podcast. Bardsy here getting to the end of the season previews ahead of round one in a few days time. So we do have three teams left. We're going to cover off two of them today. That is the Dolphins, who I like to call Redcliffe still, and the New Zealand Warriors. So a couple of really interesting chats on some of these super coach options. I've got a couple of them in my team at the moment. I've been thinking about some others. To do that, we have a all-stars podcast debut anyway. Robbie, Welcome aboard, mate. You've been a long-time listener and done some things yourself and everything. So why don't you introduce yourself to the All-Stars listeners because you haven't been on before. You're the only person in the previews this preseason that hasn't been on before. Yeah, thanks, Barnsley. Good to good to finally <laughs> get a crack up to first grade finally after um, listening for a while on that. But no, um, for diehard Eels fans, so, you know, hoping for uh, better fortunes this year. I had my sister win Supercoach. Uh, a little while back, so I guess you know, <laughs> being related there, super coaches in the blood, and that had a few good years, and that um, twenty twenty one being the peak year where I um, was in first for a couple of weeks, and then obviously uh, Timmy Moody took out the year, so yeah, keen to get the year kicked awesome, off. Uh, awesome. Only two well, more sleeps to go. I mean, if your sister's already won, I I don't like to talk odds too much, but the odds are probably against you because two in one family, that's going to be a first. So she's pipped you there, but you know, maybe this is your year. Let's uh, jump into talking about the Dolphins first of all, though. And I think with the Dolphins, their their roster hasn't really changed hugely. Uh, I think probably one of the big things that's just happened is Tom Gilbert's gone with an ACL, which is really unfortunate for him. And he's going to open up some potential super coach opportunity as well, which is going to be interesting. Um, but really, the ads, I think, obviously, Avarillo was meant to be. But I've got to say, Robbie, like, I th- I just assumed that they went after Avrilo pretty hard, but the current and this is a problem with the split team list as well because we know the the first four teams but we don't know the rest. But the current iterations of the predicted lineups for TLT for the Dolphins for round one has Avrilo not out of the seventeen uh, out of the seventeen. Sorry, I was quite surprised about that because I thought that was one of their sort of bigger signings. Yeah, quite surprising. I mean, like when you look at the, um, I guess when you look at the names in the back line, um, you probably think Avarillo would probably be um, one of their better outside backs to throw in. But uh, whether there's, you know, been any injuries or anything like that, not to know, but it has been a surprise. Flegler's a pretty good uh, signing for them as well. I think that they needed him. Uh, but really, I, I probably expect them. I don't know. Before we go into the draw, as far as predictions go, I'm, I don't have them for top eight. I sort of. Gave them a lot of I gave them a lot of credit for last year because even though they finished the second half pretty poorly, I still think it was this huge success for the season for one that some people thought they'd struggle to win a game. Uh, I always thought they'd win a few, but I didn't think they'd win that many. They're in the top eight for 
probably half the season. Uh, I think they overachieved. But in saying that, a lot of it, I think at the start, was about the emotion of being a new team, uh, all the pundits writing them off and the underdog story and all that. They don't have any of that motivation this year. And the roster, I think, is really going to come unstuck in the spine. Uh, JMK and, and the Hammer were very good last year, but certainly the halves at six and seven, they're going to really need guys to step in and, and make those roles their own. And they've got a few people competing for it at the moment. I just don't see them being able to compete for the eight this year. But having said that, uh, the draw looks quite good. So I've got them penciled in for sort of, look, anywhere from sort of 11 to 15 is my type of range for the Dolphins. How do you sort of see their season going? Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, last year, you know, they started off quite well, probably took a few teams by surprise. Um, but you saw throughout the year that as the year went on with their roster and that, they just, you know, petered out uh, towards the end. Um, still, I think overall, if you off the 13th place at the start of the year, they would have taken it in the overall year. Uh, but it's they probably the back end was disappointing for them. Um, I'm in the exact place as you. I see them 15th to uh, 11th. Um, and really when I look at it, I, I kind of look at it from the perspective of, Everyone around that mark looks like they would have improved and would be pushing the eight. I don't see who they are leapfrog in that pecking order. So I think they'll be in the exact same spot that they finished last year. Uh, the draw does lend itself to some uh, some early wins, though, and um, also an early buy will push them up there too with the, the free two points. So draw, I, I think it's a mixed bag. They've got the buy in round three, which is really tricky. But other than that, they do have quite a good draw where it sees them in the state of Queensland, at least, until until around 7 when they go to Parramatta, and that's going to be a tough game. But So they don't leave Queensland until round 7 of the competition, which is pretty insane. They've also got some pretty good matchups to start with. The Cowboys and the Dragons are there before the bye. That's not too bad, and the Cowboys have been starting pretty slow as well. Uh, then after the round 3 bye, they've got the double that I love, getting the Titans before they get Fafita and Jaden Campbell back, probably. And then the Tigers in round five. That double there of Titans and Tigers is amazing. Obviously a lot tougher uh, against the Broncos, but they're still in Queensland. And then the Eels, Knights, Cowboys, uh, and it leads them all the way to around 14 by. So they do play round 13. And it is one of those ones where in round 13, they've got the Raiders. And a couple of games before that, they actually hit the Tigers again. So they got the Tigers twice in the first 11 rounds. They do have a, a little bit of a tougher sort of round six to around nine or 10 type of area. But you could probably weather that and keep some of these guys. But then if you're paying for someone and they've got a round three buy, it probably puts you off too. So to me, I think they've got a really juicy draw early on. I've actually looked at it, Robbie, to try and get a piece of it specifically to say I've got a dolphin in there. But then I've also questioned whether they're going to be able to make the most of it. Like how do they start? Where's the attack going to come from? So I find it really hard to read the draw for the dolphins. Yeah, it's a bit tricky. I mean, that round three buy just you know, makes it really awkward to really go heavy on uh, Dolphins players. Although, as you mentioned, you're the, the first, I guess, four games that they've got are you know really, really juicy in terms of a draw. Um, you mentioned that their first um, away game is against uh, is against my Eels in round seven. But that's actually in Darwin, so it almost feels like a. Uh, you know, a home game for them, essentially. Similar weather. Yeah, yeah. So um, really, that, that they, they, they've been aided by, you know, the draw in terms of, you know, travel and whatnot um, out of any other team in the comp. But, yeah, that buy just makes it really awkward to really invest heavy. Um, and then um, from there, you know, they've got they've got a good run-up to the buy in round 14. 
Um, so they play out around 30. So um, I guess if you're really high, you think, you know, I guess the Dolphins are going to start hot, put on points, then um, there'll be a couple of targets that you'd probably want to start with. Yeah, so let's talk about the first one. Um, I think I'm happy to admit mistakes that I make, but I didn't really know how I was not going to make this mistake. Jermaine Osako ended up scoring 77 points a game. And he just sort of came out of nowhere because he was obviously going to a team that we thought was going to struggle. And I mean, they didn't particularly go amazing. And he's had 80-minute games pretty much for most of his career. And his best has been 56 points a game in 2021, and that was with goal kicking. So even with the goal kicking, you sort of thought, you know, well, maybe he gets to sort of 56 or or whatever, but he's also been dropped a lot in his career too. So, I mean, is he even going to make the side? And then he busts out and goes 77 points per game. That was an outstanding season from Masako. And I have to say, as a player, he improved a lot. Um, he had some... Oh, probably I would say concentration lapses and defensive lapses and stuff in his game before his work rate wasn't particularly good, but he just, he really improved out of sight. Um, and what Wayne Bennett's done is a huge credit, but I look at it and go, people are putting him in because he was one of the top few center wing options for last year. And he starts with a good draw. And normally you'd go, you know what? He's going to start expensive, but you know, I'd pay 750k odd if I'm going to get close to 80 points. But for a winger in a Dolphin side, even with a good draw and with goal kicking, the thing that scares me the most is his massive career year. Like his base isn't that phenomenal. It's okay at 28. Um, guys like Tupo and To'o and some of these other base wingers and even a Katoa, they've got bases in the 30s. So, I mean, his base isn't up there. It's It's sort of average. And his base attack went through the roof, though. You know, 23 points per game in offloads and also tackle breaks is unheard of for him. And his scoring stats were at 27 points a game. You know, it's uh, obviously he had the goal kicking, but he also scored an immense amount of tries as well. You just have a look at it and go, well, you know, I cannot believe if I read out to somebody the numbers without saying Jermaine Asako, and I said to them, this bloke had seven tons in the season, uh, and average 77 points a game. People will be throwing up names like Turbo and stuff. But it was Jermaine Nasako. Oh, I just can't get my head around it. But it's one of those ones, Robbie, where when that happens with a player, um, it is a risk because they can obviously drop way down. But if they maintain it, they're actually a huge pod because a lot of people won't be able to get their head around it and not many people will own him. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you mentioned eight tons there. And last year, I didn't have one of them. I'm, you know, I feel like I'm a bit of a flat earther. You know, around Earth Denier with Osako just never came around to ever thinking he was relevant. And, you know, I thought the drop was going to come, but, you know, he just kept going and going and going and obviously performed uh, as the second highest averaging centre wing. You, When you read those stats, you're exactly right without putting a name. You'd, you'd want him uh, as a, a must-have, really. But I guess, as you've pointed out, you know, that's a career year. It's a high price to start with. You've got the round three buy. You're investing $780,000 to get him in. You know, at some point he'll be relevant um, if he shows the same level of consistency as last year, but I can't start with him just at that price. No, I can't start with him either. I will say, though, the scary thing for me is that his lowest score was a 35, and he was a special to throw out nines and stuff a couple of years ago in his career. Uh, and after the 35, <laughs> it was amazingly a 44 that was his lowest score. Yeah, and you look at the um, the coefficient where it was at thirty five percent last year. That's you know that for a centre wing, that's outstanding. So whether he can maintain that, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I think that the trouble is going to be for people is that 
I, I don't think I don't want to start with him, and I wouldn't advise people to. But in saying that, the part of the draw that you want him for is at the start, uh, and you're also going to want him at round thirteen. And because of the the good floor that he's shown uh, and the consistent tons that he's thrown up, he hasn't really fluctuated much. Like obviously, he started at three hundred eighty-three thousand as a mid-price guy last year, but basically when he got to the six high sixes and seven hundreds, he he kind of stayed there. Like the only time that he sort of went below it was around round 20 um, when he went just below 600K and then he fell to 555, but then he quickly went back up to 700K within a few weeks. There might not be an ideal time to buy him, though what I would say to newer super coaches, Robbie, is uh, it's a lot easier to pay up a bit later on in the season because your cap's higher and you've made more money by then. So certainly by round you know, 10, 11, when you're planning for that first big buy, um, you're going to have a lot more money at your disposal where I would be more comfortable paying, say, 700K for Jermaine Osako, hoping he's dropped a little bit, but if I had to pay it, I could. Whereas now it's a lot harder when you're trying to get your round one team in order. Yep. And just to add as well, and I think we might talk about him later, the person inside of him we, we believe might have an impact on his scoring output. So, um, yeah, not for me. That's a good point too. Um, so the other guy here that was quite surprising but I have actually considered. So I've got to be my side at the moment as my hooker and I've changed my hooker that many times. But Jerry Marshall King, he had a phenomenal season that I think we sort of projected he could do because he showed a bit at the Dogs and he was at 58 points per game in 2022. But again, the Dolphins factor, we sort of thought it would kind of translate to maybe the same. He's a guy that sort of moved to hooker a few years ago after being in the halves and he's actually made a real fist of it now. 63 points per game, a good season for him, but it also means he's 639,000. It's an interesting price point, Robbie, because I think he's he's well below a grant still, and he's not that much up from these sort of guys like Robson and, and Appy who, who might be okay but might also have some red flags. It's not that much to go up to a Jeremy Marshall King. So I certainly see him as an option, and one of the things that's great about him is that he is a guy that can get a little bit of attack. His create stats last year I was really impressed with. So he's assists, he ended up with 13 points per game. And he really did have that ball going near the line where he could throw somebody over. And that's really appealing. Uh, the other thing is when you dive into the stats a bit more, he's got a, a pretty good discount on that average. He actually should be averaging a fair bit more. He should be pushing towards 70 plus if he didn't keep getting hurt. Now, getting hurt is going to be a red flag. He only played 15 games last year. More importantly, though, uh, he missed games on six separate occasions for six separate injuries or concussions and everything else. Uh, big shoulder injury as well. It's a huge concern that he can be sitting out. But you look at the minutes and you can see in the first 13 rounds, uh, every game that he played was 80. Now, he missed a couple of minutes out of that, but basically between 70 and 80 minutes, the idea was that he was going to play 80 minutes a game. The problem was that he got concussed a couple of times, hurt his shoulder. So you've got a round 15 game against Manly where he's only scored 17 points because he only got 40 minutes. You've also got another 46-minute game where he's only scored 21. So that's actually impacted his average a fair bit, as has the injury, because you could see him carrying it a couple of times where he came back for a game and then was injured again, and that happened three different times. So, look, I actually really like him. Scores based on 74 minutes a game, but it's also based on those injury-affected games 42 bases is solid. It's not phenomenal. But when you factor in the attacking stats, 
I kind of like it with the draw. It's just that round three buy that I'm trying to get my head around for him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as we keep going to keep alluding to the round three buys all good. He's he's at a he's at a good price where you know you, if you don't feel like you want to spend up to Harry Grant, that you know he's, he's there's enough saving there where you feel like you know, you, you you've got a, a solid player in that position that you don't need to think about. Um, you know, you mentioned that you had a, a bit of an injury um, riddled season last year uh, with seventy four minutes as a result. I'm just questioning whether he will maintain 80 through the year. You know, uh, I think uh, Nicarima might be potentially the utility on the bench that could pose a risk to minutes. Uh, but I guess for me, I was tempted due to the lack of options in the hooker. But I guess with um, Appy now picking up the goal kicking, it gives us another option where you can jump down another 90 grand. And for me at the moment, I feel like that 90 grand is better spent elsewhere to bolster the team at the moment. But JMK is a, is a really good option considering that draw. Um, he was involved in the attack quite a lot. So if he's going to get off to a good start and equal Harry Grant, this is the time for him to do it. Yeah, and it was interesting too. We only have one game where this happened, but Cody Nicarima was on the bench in Jersey 14 last year and he only played three minutes. Uh, and Wayne Bennett loves that because if you remember, he did it at South too, where he'd have this... Uh, you know, utility that basically was only there if you had an injury in the back line and you'd only play him like zero to five minutes. Um, if that's the case, it's great. But it's one of those ones where it's teamless dependent. Uh, but one of the things that's nice about him is at that price point at 639, you could always move him around, even though we've got the split team list. He's obviously not played yet. So provided you don't have, you know, a, a cheese at the second hooker spot or any of these guys that are playing in the first two games, you can really change that around. And at his price point, it's easy to go down to an Appy who's cheaper um, and, and upgrade your second hooker to someone you can play for a round with Appy out and do a few things with it. I think that's probably what teams need to do if they're interested in Jeremy Marshall King. Think about the contingency plan based on the bench and, and what we hear for round one for next week. So moving along, uh, rising guns, the hammer. Uh, I think that there was two camps last year with the hammer. There was a lot of people who were all about him. Then there was a lot of people who said, no, he's got a terrible base and terrible single-digit scoring in him and I'm not interested, even at 330K. He ended up scoring 59 points a game, uh, up from the 31 points per game in 2022, but obviously he was playing full games and he was a fullback. Uh, I thought that he went uh, exceptional to start the year compared to what his price point was. Uh, I guess the issue for him is when you're looking at his numbers, he's going to come in at 600K. That's now a premium price, but he does have quite a premium draw and he is a fullback that you can have in your centre wing, which is really handy. His base was only 26 at fullback, uh, so getting up there, but still needs to improve. Base attack solid at 14, so he's got a 40 floor, which is you know a lot better than probably his 30 floor that he had previously. He scored a bunch of tries, you know, and when you're going through that first uh, six weeks there, you know, he's got a single, a double, a single, a single, a single, a double. You know, he was scoring constantly. Um, one of the things that happened in the back half of the season, or certainly the final third, is that the tries dried up. And when the tries dried up, he could not hit 60 points at all. Uh, so basically, the first one to 10 rounds, he went 60 a game. The middle, uh, he went 68 points a game. And then the final third of the season, he went 49 points a game. And that's the worry with paying that 600k for him, is that you do have that 49 points per game there that he can do an average of over multiple games if he's not getting those uh, bulk attack stats. Yeah, it's um, yeah, as you said, you know, it's um, yeah, price 
price at 600. So it's, um, I guess, we're getting more information come to light uh, that we don't think uh, centre wing's going to be right with the cheapy prospects we were going to have. So it feels like at the moment, coach is going to have to spend up a little bit more in centre wing just to you know solidify the position. I guess, you know, if you're looking for a potential upside with the draw, you know, Hammer at price at 600 is a, is a really good option. So, I mean, I see he's, every time I look at him on the um, in play, he looks to continuously improve as I watch him. So I feel like he will improve this year and he will be involved in that attack. We'll be getting lots of touches. You know, he's, he's someone that's priced really well if you want to have a go at a high price centre wing to target a draw and a run. Yeah, I like him with the draw, and I have had him in. I ended up going against it because I, I went for other options. I, I wouldn't talk anyone out of it. I would probably just say, Robbie, that if somebody's going to put him in, they've got to recognise that they're also doing it off buying into the fact he's going to improve because if he doesn't improve, it, it, it could be pretty bad and you're going to be trading him out pretty quickly. Um, and for an example, he only had one tonne last year, so as good as he went, he still only had the one tonne where he went 120 points, where he carved up his old team, the Cowboys, who he happens to play round one, which is nice. But other than that, I always look at 70-plus as kind of the elite scoring, how often he can do that. He only did it 25% of the time. He only had five out of 20 games where he went 70-plus, which is pretty low. And 45% of the time, he went 60-plus. So more often than not, he's going to be below 60. Um, and particularly the last suit of the season, like I touched on, he had a lot of that. So... I think that if you're buying him, um, you're buying him for the draw, but also of the belief that he's going to improve uh, because you need better than what he was last year if you're going to have him. Uh, Lemuelu, he is someone who I really like as a footballer, um, but there's talk that he might not even have the the edge jersey sewn up yet. They're talking about Aiken possibly even getting in, so we may as well talk about those guys together. I, I think that they're not going to drop Conley because I kind of feel like that's a bit of a Wayne Bennett experiment to make a, a prior centre into a, a good back rower. And I thought that he was improving a lot last year. It's one of those ones, Robbie, that kind of frustrates me though, because I really like him as a player. He started off at 307,000 and, and got as high as 658,000 last year. Um, love him as a player. He had some really good line runs, which you'd expect from an ex-centre, uh, which meant that he scored seven tries for the season. But... It just didn't translate to enough points at 54 points per game. The eye test said that he was better than 54 points per game, but he just wasn't. Um, The 38 base is reasonably low. He does need to get in there and do more work. Uh, But the base attack was there, and that's good. He's got the tackle breaks, especially 12 points per game. So it seemed like, you know, his floor was around 60, uh, but he only sort of got there 39% of the time as well. So he had those negative stats in him and some penalties. And really, if he's going to score seven tries in 23 games again... 54 points isn't enough. He's actually going to have to get to either, you know, a much better work rate or score an extra three or four tries. And I'm not sure whether the Dolphins have it in them to give him 11 or 12 tries in a season. So certainly a young gun, certainly a rising gun at 54 points per game. I can see the ability for him to get to 60 plus. Uh, I couldn't pay for it, but I'm going to be watching him. And I did get him in draft at least. So I can have a look at him in there. Yeah, yeah, I think for yeah, you mentioned the security in terms of him battling out with Aiken, so yeah, there's a bit of question mark there. Um, I, I just think with Lemuelu, I, I really like him when I watch him, but you know, five five fifty in terms of the mid price options that we have, he's just in that awkward price where if you're going to spend him, you might as well go up to a Cam Murray, which is another I believe fifty fifty or so grand. Um, he's just in that awkward place that you know I think you're better off going with a mid option. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I will say I did look at him because I, I just off the top of my head went, oh, he's probably 475. 
He's probably a little bit closer to those mid-range guys. And obviously, he's not at 550. If he was 475, I'd be really interested because there is a few games where he went off early. He ended up with a 28-minute game, a 12-minute game, a 55-minute game, 67-minute game, and a 19-minute game, and a 50-minute game. So there's actually almost a third of his games were significantly below the 80 points, uh, 80 minutes, I should say, sorry. Uh, and that gives him a bit of value. Like if you went on his 80-minute average, he actually is a gun and he is in the 60s. Um, so if he could do that consistently and, and not get injured and improve a bit, there is some value there. The problem is I'm not prepared to pay the 554K when there's so many other secondary forward options. Uh, we mentioned Aitken as well. Uh, I mean, what's your opinion on it? Do you do you think there's a chance that Aitken gets there? Because I have seen some teams actually throw Aitken in there because he's a dual center wing second rower. Um, but I, I couldn't even... I, I'm... I love Aiken. He's I'm one of his biggest fans. He only got 57 points per game last year, and that was the best that he's actually done for a number of years. He's normally in the 50s. I really like him, but even at centre wing, because of his price point, I sort of said to myself, look, I don't even really want to pay for that because he could lose his job the next week to Connolly or two weeks later, and he's not going to make any money. It's a waste of trade. Yeah, great. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, Aiken, you know, coaches love him. You know, he's very consistent. Uh, good defensively, and you know when you're looking at the Dolphins, I think the big thing for them is to improve their defence um, this year. So um, if he does uh, win that spot, I mean I'll keep an eye on him. Uh, but really for him, you, you know you want to get guys um, with this sort of draw that might have that upside. I don't see the upside in Aiken. He'll be safe if he you know, gets the minutes, but that's really all you're paying for. So you know spend elsewhere if you get better value elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. Hard time. We mentioned. Averillo getting dropped. Uh, Tessie New looks like he's going to be the beneficiary of that. Uh, 470,000. Uh, really, it's a big balls pod, not just a pod, because he has got very limited job security if Averillo is not injured and he's been dropped. He's someone who I think a few years ago a lot of us had when he was coming through the Broncos, and he kind of played a bit of fullback. He played a bit of center. He played on the wing. And he was always someone who had pretty good tackle-breaking ability, quite a step, and we thought, oh, you know, this guy could be a real super coach gun. Hasn't quite materialised because he hasn't really found his way in the NRL yet in a position at the Dolphins. He was in and out of sight a bit last year. But at 470000 I do think it's cheap enough to, to have a look if he's named and he's got a good draw. Uh, when I was going through his games, Robbie, it was a mix of good and bad. There was some big games that he had, like a 107-point game. Uh, and then some nice ones with 76 and 97. But then there's a lot of 30s and even like a, a low score of 19 and 20 in there, which is pretty poor for 80 minutes. Uh, and then I looked at the try scoring and I went, wow, he was playing on the wing for the Dolphins uh, and he still only managed to score five tries for the season in 17 appearances on the wing. That's pretty horrid. Uh, and then I went, why? Well, it's because they always go to a Sarko side. That's quite an issue uh, that they go they don't go his way too often. Uh, but I guess moving in at centre, you'd expect his 26 base to go up. He is a little bit of a worker where I think that he he's a big body that can go in and do a bit more work. He's going to get a lot more tackles. His base probably going to go up to about 32. Um, his evade stacks, it stats, his base attack. Tackle breaking's always been high for him. Um, I could see him getting up to around a 50 sort of four-ish. But the problem is for me, I'm not sure how many tries he's going to get. It was very limited last year. I guess if somebody thought... He's going to get more tries or he's going to improve as a footballer playing in the centres and, you know, maybe he's got some upside, but there's probably far too much risk there 
all things considered. Yeah, it, I, I kind of put uh, testing you in the uh, the same kind of mould as a Sarko before Sarko had his wonderful year. You know, both Bron- Broncos didn't quite cut it. You know, great comparison. Quite, yeah, quite frustrating to own. So you know, he he hasn't obviously quite kicked off uh, like a Sarko has, but obviously positional change. But I think, as you said, you know that I guess the dominant side is going to be the uh, right side towards a Sarko and uh, Herbie. So how much ball is he realistically going to get? His base probably will go up uh, naturally because he's in the centre wing, but I just don't see the value in him when you're paying four seventy. So you know you're hoping for a, you know maybe a fifty or what, which is only really four points on his average last year. So um, you know I'll keep an eye on him and you know see if um, you see if there's uh, an opportunity to grab him if it gets a bit cheaper. Uh, but to start, um, he will be a pod, but not a pod I'll be touching. Yeah, and uh, you can see the upside. It was different positions, but he did have 58 points and 57 points the two years before last year. So you can see certainly 11 to 12 points of value potentially being there. Just a big risk at that price, I think. If it was a, if it was closer to 400, I, I'd actually wouldn't mind possibly taking a bit of a pod punt considering their draw, but just a little bit too expensive, unfortunately. We've got some mids and cheapies for them. They are going to be some options. The first one is going to be the most owned, and that is Bostock. Uh, I do have Jack Bostock in my side at the moment, just a shade over 300K. So I do think that the price lends itself to putting him in in a year that we don't have many cheapies at all, and we might not even get any bottom price cheapies aside from Gagai. I do think at 314,500, you've got to look at him, and I think a lot more teams will look at him next week. Um, I have seen quite a bit made of his numbers and his averages, he has scored low with tries, and there's no getting around that. But you've got to remember he's only got five games uh, worth of you know data, and last year it was only four games. So it's very hard. You know, he's only played one game in round five last year where he scored 21 points with no attacking stats. And then he's played the last three games of the season where he scored two tries in that three-game span but went 29, 17, and 87. Now, no doubt he's got a, a low floor based on what we've seen but I do think that we have to use the caveat, Robbie, that we haven't seen a lot of Bostock yet either. Uh, so that's that's something to consider. Uh, certainly has to up his work rate. We've only seen him doing a 22 base so far across his five games, and that's got to get up there by another at least dozen points. But on a 39 average, uh, and then with a bit of an extra discount as well, down to 314K, I do see value in him with the draw that they've got. You know, he's quite tall. Even though they don't, don't go to his wing, I, I could see him scoring the first couple of weeks and then all of a sudden he's making quite a bit of money and then he hits the Gold Coast Titans and the West Tigers. You know, he could potentially go up 100K very, very quickly. And I'm not saying he's a slam dunk or anything. You know, he, he might not go up very much at all. But we just don't have many of these guys, do we? No, we don't. I've got him in my side as well. But to be honest, like, I look at him in my centre and I absolutely hate it. Well, I really hate it. Um, you know, the base isn't there and, um, you know, you're really relying on attack uh, on a, the less uh, dominant side of their attack. Um, he he kind of, you know, he fits that price where he's just a little bit uh, high, but you've got to do it just because of the lack of options. Um, I wish there was someone that would emerge uh, that's cheaper than him because he'd be um, straight to them. Um, it's it might feel a little bit like last year with the Dolphins as well, where we had you know the Hammer starting in the mid three hundreds and uh, I believe Asako as well starting in the mid three hundreds. So I guess when you've got a starter on the wing, you really just need them to jag an attacking stat 
early on to get that price moving and move them on really quickly. And I guess, you know, in his favour is that draw is favourable. So if he is going to get some attack, it would be with this draw. Yeah, if they had a really hard draw, um, I'd be I'd be inclined to leave him out um, because the draw's easier. That was enough for me to to say I'm going to pop you in there along with the fact that there's not many cheapies. If we ended up with, you know, two bottom dollar cheapies emerge next week, then that's fine. You can get him out and, and use the extra 100K really easily across the rest of your team and get more points out of that. But I just don't think the coach is going to have that luxury. So they're probably going to have to start to look at upgrading some of these nuffs and, and sending wing bottom dollar guys up to someone like a boss stock because uh, if they don't do it now, they're going to be doing it next week and panicking. But there is a few other guys. Stone might be the beneficiary um, out of the Gilbert injury. So Gilbert going down for the season obviously opens up the number 13 jersey. By all training accounts, it was actually Young Plath that was uh, starting there at training, but Stone was in the rehab squad. Uh, so whether Stone comes in and Plath comes out, we have to see. But Ray Stone at the start of last year was kind of a big deal. A lot of people wanted to look at him because he was priced on a 29 average and they thought he'd get a lot more minutes. That ended up happening. He went from 26 minutes in 2022 to 49. It was still only a 41 average, but that makes a fair bit of money in that dozen points extra per game. PPM's reasonably low, and that's pretty bad for a guy that's in the middle. But in saying that, 420,000, I kind of rank him pretty lowly as far as the the mid-range you know, second rowers that we've got on, uh, available. Like You've got lanes and kickouts and and Currens and, and proven guys who are around the same sort of price point or, or 20 or 30K more. I, I just think there's too many of them to look at a race stone, even if he's starting. Uh, but then I looked at it and went, you know what? He's also a hooker. You know, could he solve people's hooker problems if he's a starting 13? Uh, and then even at 420K, I still couldn't get around it because I sort of felt like um, he he won't get all the minutes. Like I do feel like those Gilbert minutes... Might go a little bit to a Flegler um, to get some extra minutes. Might go a little bit to some of these other guys. Uh, and maybe he gets an extra one or two minutes. But at 49-minute average, I still couldn't really get my way around getting heaps of upside out of Ray Stone, even if he's starting next week. Yeah. He'll always have a soft spot in my heart because I guess his last action as an Eels player was uh, scoring the winning try in that golden point game against the Storm. On the one leg, Yeah, one leg of doing his ACL, which is unfortunate. But uh, he'll always have a soft spot for me in that regard. But, yeah, as you said, no, I haven't even thought about him, to be honest, uh, ever since uh, Gilbert went down. Um, yeah, 40, 49 minutes of you mentioned. I'm not sure how much growth there is there as well, especially at his PPM. And with that forward pack as well, you know, obviously they've recruited Flegler and they've got uh, a few experienced guys in there, which I feel the minutes will be distributed uh, across the board. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think he's an option for me. No, and he is very meat and potatoes, isn't he? It's, it's all base. Like out of his 41 average, it's 39 base. Uh, had no try last year. Um, but there, there was a little... Interesting patch between round 13 and round 20, which obviously covered origin and some injuries the Dolphins had, where he was a starting 13. And his minutes actually were were pretty consistently high. So he went 59, 68, 60, 51, 53, 67, and 48 minutes across that span. It's a decent sample size. um, And it showed that Wayne Bennett was happy to throw him in for those minutes. So, I mean, if I see that that changes and he's getting like 63 minutes, which is what he averaged over that span, 
then you know I'm interested then because that's a that's a lot more minutes and that equates to possibly ten points a game extra for him. But I'd need to see it first. And like you said, with that forward pack, it's just very hard to see. I'm also a young Plath. A lot of people might have been you know thinking about him because he's 200k. He's actually only 5'8 eligible. So I mean, I don't think that you can possibly look at it with uh, well, I guess the the fact that it's at 5'8 and you've only got the two positions to fill. Have you considered someone? Would you consider someone like him at five eight as your second five eight, or are you more comfortable with one of these, you know, out and out five eights that you know you can use if you? Um, I mean, I mean, looking at the price for him, and you know, if he if he did end up getting that thirteen, if he's been training in there, I'd probably be more interested than some of the other options. I mean, that they've all they they all fit the mold of just poor job security. Um, so you really don't know, you know, week one they might be starting, but then, you know, the next week they might, you know, might be out of the team. So it, I, I guess it kind of falls in the same uh, same um, level as the others, I guess, with that poor job security and that. But, you know, if he, if he got named to start, there was a lack of cheapies and that, you definitely probably need to consider him. Yeah, it's very tough this year because there's hardly any guys at 200K. And if you get someone named starting 13, you just think, oh, I've got to get him in. It's If Ray stays on the bench because he's been rehabbing a little bit, it's pretty scary because Plath could then be a 20-minute roll off the bench and it's just a wasted position. So uh, that's probably, in a nutshell, Supercoach 2024. I think that there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of risks and it's, um, it's going to be a really interesting start to the season. Sorry, I was just going to say... Um... The new recruits from the Broncos, Farmworth and Flegler. Um, you had any thoughts on them? Uh, yeah, sorry. So they were the next ones yep. to, yep. to talk about. Yeah. Got my um, got my run sheet mixed up there, so thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> new recruits, Farnworth and Flegler. I think, let's go with, uh, I think Flegler is the most interesting for me. He is a bit of his own category, so we just got him in a recruit category because he's going to come in at 475000 It is mid-priced. He's... I guess been a potential gun since he came in. He sort of looked good. The old, you know, the young banana farmer that came in with a contract at the Broncos had an offload, did some big runs, was aggressive, but he's only gone 45, 43, 46, and 47 minutes a game across his career. So the question's always been, you know, how much upside he's got. I look at his minutes and he's consistently between 42 and 44 minutes a game. And as a front row where we actually need someone, I don't mind giving Flegler a look because I think that he's, 44 minutes a game goes up to 50 plus and with his PPM that's at least six minutes but he's got potential to do more than that as well with Gilbert down now so can he get you know 52 53 minutes um, which isn't out of the question for a middle forward like him you know he could do it and he has done it before in spurts uh, if he can do that and then I'm a little bit more interested uh, one of the things that happened last year is his offload went away a little bit uh, so he still had an okay base base attack for a front rower at nine per game. Uh, 37 base was uh, a little low, but you know he could get that up there at the Dolphins too with some extra work in that pack. I would like to see his offload come out a bit more. Um, he basically never gets to 60 plus though. And that was the biggest thing for me, Robbie. Like when I'm looking at it, I was kind of interested, but it was all a little bit narrative based on the interest. You know, well, he could get more minutes. He could up his work rate now that he's sort of the alpha in a pack rather than, you know, a, a bench sort of prop that he was at the Broncos a lot of the time. He could maybe get better at the Dolphins and he could get his offload back out a bit more. They're all coulds and none of it's based on numbers or facts. So I'm a little bit torn because he only went 60 plus in his whole career between 9 and 16% of his games each season. And that's a big worry for me. 
Yeah, he's got, uh, and I've talked to you quite a lot last year about this, but he's got a little bit of Christian Walsh vibes about him. You know, he's, yeah, he does. He's, um, yeah, he's at, the, at that really good price. Uh, he's a starter, new club. You think, you know, obviously Gilbert's gone down. You think the minutes are going to be there. I'm sure he's, he, he will get more minutes. Uh, it's just whether he can get to the 55-minute mark. I see him probably at a 50 more realistically, which is six minutes up from last year. And you're probably really only talking about, I guess, seven, eight points potentially worth of value. Um, and the thing with Flegler is you're always a suspension away from being out three, four weeks. He's, he's one of those players with the poor record that, um, you know, he, you know, high shot here and, you know, you're needing to trade him out. Um, at the moment, I've got it. I'm not, I'm on the fence with him because I've got a Terrell May at the moment as my uh, second starting front rower. And to jump from him to Flegler, is about, you know, 30, 40 grand and that. Uh, if I can find the money, I might be tempted. Um, I guess the Gilbert news uh, probably perked my interest a lot more. Yeah, I, and I do think that he's he's one of the beneficiaries of the Gilbert news. I really can't see it not happening for him, especially being the, the shiny new signing and stuff. But it's just that he doesn't go. If you were guaranteed sort of 55 and he was one of those guys that 95% of the time has given you 54, 55 points, I think you'd take it. And certainly at front row forward, I've said before, if you can get like six points of value, I think it's enough because there's just not much there and you just don't want to put much there. So if you can get a consistent scorer in the 50s that's going to give you six points of value, I would take that. The problem is that there's still a bit of uncertainty there. So if somebody wanted to to bank on him, Robbie, and say, look, I think that he's going to have a career year and, and I don't really have any other options at front row forward that I like, I wouldn't talk him out of it. Well, Herbie, I feel like we've disrespected. I really should have had him in the guns, and um, and I didn't. So I apologise to Herbie and his family and all of his fans. But he is a 62 average player, so he is a certified gun. 632,000, though. I've seen people put him in. I have absolutely zero interest. Um, and uh, that's not to say I don't think Herbie's a good player. I will, again, like many times, make the Kieran Foran comparison of a guy who is much better on the field in real life than what translates to his super coach status. And that has always been fun with to me. Good defender. Uh, I like what he does on the field, but yeah. he only got to a 62 average with a mountain of tries last year. And he's not particularly a, an attacking player. I mean, at the same time, you have to say, look, he's improving, Robbie. So he is young. And I do get that. But like going from the Broncos attack near the top of the competition to the Dolphins, it just looks really hard for him to, con- to have 15 tries in a season. Uh, the year before at the Broncos, he had 10 when the Broncos weren't as good. And even 10 seems reasonably high for him. But say he gets 10 on that 2022 season, he ended up with a 56 super coach average. And I can see that happening at the Dolphins, unless he does obviously improve because he's a young guy and stuff. Uh, I do like that uh, basically 50% of the time, the last two years, he went 60 plus. The problem was that he just didn't have very many big scores. He only had the one ton last year at 109. Um, had a really good base at 35. That's, that's pretty solid. And with his base base attack, he's getting in the 50s. And that's why he went 60 plus so often. But he just hardly had any any big scores. You know, the 70 pluses, you, you're talking about once every five or six weeks. Uh, and for a center wing, you know, it's not very great, not very good. And a lot of those are just 70s. There's not any 90s. There's one 280 scores um, and the, the 100. So, if he's like if he's like that at the Broncos, Robbie, I don't really like his prospects at the Dolphins to pay that type of money for him. Yeah, I mean, like you, you're paying off history from a different team, so he's obviously come from um, a grand finalist team to a team that finished in the um, 
bottom uh, bottom quarter of the competition. Uh, you know, he, that, that, you know, his base and power, as you mentioned, at fifty you know, in the fifties, and that is what's the appeal, I guess. And really, his coefficient it, it was twenty seven percent last year, which is outstanding for a centre wing. I don't think you can find much better. Um, I guess the when he might become relevant for me is if the hammer ever went down and he moved to full back. If that if that occurred during the year and he got a prolonged run there, that's when I would be interested in Herbie because you know he's going to take the runs, he's going to hog the ball and that. Um, so not to start the season at 6.32 because I think there's better options really, but that's when I would be uh, interested. Yeah, 100%. He would be good at fullback because his work rate has, has been there pretty much his whole career and that's going to translate really well to one. Um, what probably won't translate well to one is he doesn't have a huge amount of playmaking ability though uh, and it's probably a question that's been asked a lot so we should pose it. How do you feel about his winger outside him now that Herbie's going to be there? Because to me, he wasn't someone that, that sets up his winger a terrible, terrible amount and obviously on paper, a Herbie, a Sarko pairing looks really good in real life but Asako obviously got a lot of attacking stats last year and outside of Herbie there's talk that maybe that'll dry up a little bit yeah I think it's uh I don't think it will bode well for Asako in terms of the amount of tries I, I would I would have that different answer if they really had a a, a dominant ball player like a you know in one of these teams like a turbo or a, a Walsh where they have that cut out you know obviously Herbie's gonna um, have lots of attention on him as the Yamaki player and one of the better players in their side. That's when I, I think you could see some benefit for someone like Asako. But when you, you're talking about halves of um, Katoa and Sullivan and, you know, obviously ha- the Hammers are uh, still improving and emerging, you know, there's a lot of question marks there that, you know, I don't think the ball's going to go um, much further out to Asako as much as it did last year. No, I don't think so either. So before we do move on, how good is Rugby League and how good is Picklebet? Official betting partner of the All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. You can go to picklebet.com.au at the moment, sign up for an account today and put All-Stars as your affiliate code or your code when you sign up and they ask you for all your details and that way they'll know that you're one of our listeners and take great care of you. But their NRL markets are off the hook. They've got some great stuff. If you like your racing or anything else, certainly jump on there. Often best odds in market, and when you're having a look at the Roosters, you know, you can get them for $2.40 versus the Broncos, so I'm in on that one. Manly Seagulls, $2.04 outside favourites against South, that's quite interesting as well. So all the opening round matchups are priced there at the moment, including your same-game multis, which Picklebet has now too. So they are fantastic. Please do jump on and take a look at Picklebet if you do like to have a punt, and certainly always gamble responsibly and also use All Stars as your affiliate code when you sign up. Make sure you think of this event that you really want to place for confidential and free support. You can go to 1-800-858-858 and give them a call or go to gamblinghelponline.org.au. All right, now it's time to talk Warriors. The Warriors were another surprise packet last year. They were exceptional. I'll 100% put my hand up. I thought they might have been a bottom four team, but credit to them. They had a fantastic season and they're getting Webster in from a winning system and winning culture really helped them a lot, I think. Uh, much more than I thought that it would have. It meant that they had several career years as well. So certainly Sean Johnson is number one on that. He had a resurgent year in, in his 30s, which I don't think anyone predicted. Uh, people were even at the start of the year were saying that they should probably drop him and play some of these young guys. So it was quite incredible. Uh, Fanua Blake as well became one of the best front rowers in the league. I do feel like a lot of their success hinged off off those two. And they had other guys too that really stepped up. CNK was a great super coach mid-ranger last year that killed it and ended up being keeper. Uh, he resurrected his career after a down 
downtime at, at Canberra and then returned home. Uh, DWZ had a career year with a bazillion tries, it felt like. Even all these other forwards, like Barnett, played a great role coming over. Uh, Jackson Ford couldn't get a run at the Dragons, and he came over and played really well as a starting edge. There's great stories all over the place. Uh, much better than I thought, and I feel really bad saying this, Robbie, but I, I've got them maybe in the eight or maybe missing out. I, I don't have them anywhere near top four like they were gunning for last year, and I sort of think that they're in that six to 11 range for me, uh, and it's not a backhander to the Warriors. So Warriors fans, I don't mean it to be. I just think that the competition this year is a lot tighter, and that middle pack is is really hard. There's like six or seven teams in the middle of that pack between sort of five and 12 where anyone could beat anyone on any day or get ahead of anyone by the end of the year. And I find it really hard to predict. Um, But I do think that one of the things that does happen is if there's a really good response to a new coach and your career years out of guys, the next year there's always potential for drop-off. I do see that with the Warriors this year a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like what got them to that, you know, that position... Uh, was their defence really? You know they were third in the league for you know points, con- um, you know least points conceded. So really, it was on the back of defence, which we don't really associate with the Warriors. So that was really good to see. And obviously, the coach uh, was able to uh, instill that belief and uh, get that improvement out of them. Um, yeah, I, I think as you mentioned, you know, there were a lot of career years that we felt like uh, that really um, got them to that position. Um, I don't think they're a top four side, but look if. We, you know, if they get the right runs and teams don't quite perform, they might be able to get there again. I'm a bit like you where I do think they'll make the eight, but I think they'll probably more be about the seventh to eighth. And the way I look at it is, you know, last year you had teams like the Roosters, Rabbits, Eels, um, Manly that underperformed where I feel like they're all going to improve. So they're really going to be in that battle with all those teams. Um, so... I do think they'll make the eight, but not top four. So the positive thing with their draw is that they don't have a buy until round 13. That is a big buy round, but it does mean that you don't miss out on a week until the big buy round without any Warriors playing. So that's good and a big positive. One of the other big positives as well is a start with their home game. So obviously playing in New Zealand is a huge advantage for them and it's big travel for the team that's visiting for them. The first three out of four games are in New Zealand. That's great. Uh, and in fact, when you look at the first two months, which is the most important time frame for me, they've actually got five out of eight in New Zealand. So very good home and away for the first two months, but they don't have the easiest draw. They start off with the Sharks and then the Storm. So that's two tougher games at the beginning. Uh, the Raiders is going to be a nice matchup. Then they've got the Knights, the Rabbits, the Seagulls, the Dragons in round seven and the Titans in round eight. They They look to be really juicy ones. So a, a little bit of a mixed bag because after those two really good ones, they hit the Knights again, but then they hit the Roosters and the Panthers before a little bit of an easy one uh, against the Dolphins before they go on a bye. So to me, I am looking at the Warriors players going, I don't really love them for the start of the season. Even though they're at home, I don't love the matchups too much. Uh, but I do like targeting them maybe around that six to seven mark in in the rounds because they do have that round seven Dragons and round eight Titans. And if they do struggle a little bit or grind away at the start, then they're going to have some guys that maybe present some value. Um, we're also going to know a bit more about the rotations there. So uh, that's sort of how I see their draw. How did you see it, Robbie? Yeah, it's um, it's yeah about in the middle way that, you know, obviously that travel to the New Zealand obviously is a, a big advantage, but, you know, vice versa, you know, them travelling to 
Australia uh, half the time as well um, is obviously a detriment to them. But, you know, you look at that draw and there's a few tough ones early on, but, you know, that, you know, that round six to round eight looks quite good with Manly, Dragons and Titans. I think the reality with a lot of the um, the Warriors players is they had such a great year last year that, you know, you're really paying a high price for uh, a lot of the guys that you'd be interested in. Um, so um, you'd, you'd like to hope that maybe that first half bit of the draw that, yeah, they don't quite perform, they lower in price, and then when the draw opens up, you, know, you can start picking them up uh, at a bit of a discount. Yeah, and look, it's one of those things too with the career years where if somebody does it at 25, you can maybe bank on it. But if somebody does it like Sean Johnson did at 33, it's a little bit harder to back up and it's kind of unlikely. So Sean Johnson's the first gun we'll talk about for the Warriors. He comes in at 793700 He's super expensive as a halfback. And I probably to New Zealand fans somewhat disrespectfully have said, if you're not going to go clear in Hines, make sure you have Hines and the second hook, the second halfback I'm going to have is Moses because of the draw and because of the price point. Um, I don't really want to look at anyone else if I'm not looking at those three at the moment. Sean Johnson deserves it based on 78 points per game last year. But when you have a look at the numbers, I think it's pretty astounding and it really paints a picture of why it's hard for him to back it up. The years before, he went 43 and 53 points per game. Even in a really big year in 2020, he went 68 points per game. He has never gone 60 plus more than what he did last year. 74% of his games, he went 60 plus in points, which is absolutely outstanding. Uh, He also had some massive games again. Like he went through a spell of years where he didn't have big games in him. He had 149 points versus Titans, which is his biggest, but he also threw on 135 points versus Sharks, 127 versus Dolphins. And he ended up having five tons for the season. Um, Sorry, six tons for the season. But he also had those real big ones in him. And he had a heap more that were 80s and 90s as well. So, I mean, he's 70 plus was big as well. He did that most of the time. And one of the things that we always associated with Sean Johnson was his his low floor. He did have a 20-point game, but then after that it was 31 and then a 41-point game, 39-point game. So aside from two games, he was sort of around that 40-plus mark as a floor. Um, So we just haven't seen this from him before. And then you look at how he got his stats and you go, wow, 34 points per game was his try assists, his line break assists, and then he had an extra 17 in scoring. So between assists, line breaks, tries, and goal kicking, he was getting 51 points per game. That is insane. Like, it's up there with the top guys, like uh, Hines, uh, Turbo, and and these uh, Cleary and these other guys that are getting all these bulk um, attacking stats. His base is really low compared to those guys, and that's a big worry for me. You're going to have a 20 base, uh, a nine base attack that gives him a 29 floor plus his goal kicking. It's not great if some of that attack dries up because, you know, it's such a huge majority of his points rely on that. And that's a big issue when you're 33 years old coming off that sort of season. Yeah, I feel like I um, uh, went two years too early on SJ because when I got him in 2021, I feel like he really hurt me when I was at the pointy and, you know, um, so I kind of needed that output. Uh, that he produced last year. But, you know, as you said, you, you, we've got to respect him uh, in terms of the season he had. You know, it was I, know, I didn't see it coming and he, he kept producing consistently. Um, really the focal point of that Warriors attack, so you know he's going to get the hand, his hands on the ball more often than not. Um, yeah, that, that, that stat of 51 
uh, points in attack per game is, you know, puts him right, right, right up there. So I guess, you know, if you really want to deviate away from Hines and Cleary, which I don't recommend people doing, um, you're really in the belief that the Warriors are going to continue their attacking form from last year. With the draw, I don't really, really see it happening. So I do see a little bit of decline, and it is priced at 793 I feel like you're paying that much. You should just pay up, go to Cleary and Hines, where you know that they're really not going to move too far and they've got those really, really big scores. Uh, hopefully, you know, during that time, you know, he can drop a little bit in price and we can pick him up as the... Um, uh, maybe when they, the draw opens up. But I guess the buy period doesn't really help them out when you probably want to be uh, looking at him. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Uh, another guy that had a career year is Adam Fanua Blake. So AFB ended up scoring 73 points per game, which is far and away his best year. His last best was back in 2019, where he went 66 points per game. Uh, since then, he had a steady decline going from to 66 in 2019 to 60, 58, and 52 in 2022. So 73, that was a huge bump up. He comes in right up there with the Payne Haas price at 740K. Uh, that is very expensive for Fanua Blake. Uh, he was a big part of why they had such a big season as well. His PPM was also the best he's ever had. 1.21 PPM uh at the 60-minute mark is is elite. Uh, he's, his PPM was always high. It was always around that 1 to 1.17, um, but his minutes have never been that high. He's always been a 51 to 55-minute type of prop, and to get 60 minutes a game and to up his PPM by about 15% is pretty insane. It doesn't normally happen, uh, and that's another worry when you're looking at guys like him. When you see numbers that are generally an anomaly, then it's a bit hard to back it to repeat itself. Uh, and that's kind of what the numbers say with him. When you have a look at how he got his stats, I mean, it was it, it was really consistent in his base at 51, but that's sort of always been around that mark. Uh, base attack, he's always had a good offload. 14 in base attack, though, is very good. So again, that 65 floor. He did, a, he did go on a bit of a scoring spree back in 2019, which is what he got his 66 points per game. Uh, and then he sort of dried up on that, but he ended up scoring eight tries for the season and eight tries in 23 matches for a front rower is phenomenal. Uh, I think that that might be close to the top. I think only Tino might've gotten more. So as far as front rowers go, you don't normally see that. Uh, I guess glass half full, Robbie, people will be going, well, this is for Noel Blake. He's in his prime. He's 28 years old. He's not in his thirties. I guess Jay is. He's, he's finally hit his prime, but the other worry for me in the flag is that he's actually wanting to leave the Warriors too and he's been denied that request and he's going to leave after this season. And we saw this at Manly at times where he had a little bit of discontent and it didn't go well for his actual on-field performances. So I'm a little bit worried about him backing up eight tries because he needs to be able to do that to, to get to that sort of average. Um, even the 60 minutes might be a bit of a stretch as well. Uh, in the start of last year, his minutes were between 46 and 55 until round eight where he started playing massive minutes for some reason. Um, and that middle period, really, he was playing huge minutes. That's a bit of a worry. Um, now, Robbie finished on five with 78 points per game for the final third of the season. But the minutes, the fact that he's leaving, the fact that it was boosted by so much attack, uh, the fact that it was a big career year, it's hard for me to bank on it again at that sort of price when I could just buy a safe as a bank paying Haas for the, basically the same. Yeah. Basically summarise it in this way. You're buying AFP at his peak price and optimal performance. Same price as Payne Haas where you really only see 
him potentially picking up attacking stats. So, look, I think AFB's priced at his max. If anything, he's going to lose money, whereas Payne Haas, you know he's going to be at that price irrespective. So you're paying up uh, some 45 AFB, just get Payne Haas. Yeah, or even uh, even a Tino, if you can stomach the buy. You know, I think the Tino is going to be more consistent as well. But I would also throw out, if you want some other options, I've been looking pretty hard at Joe Tarpany. He normally starts slow, horses gone for the first couple of weeks. He's almost $100,000 less. So, I mean, if you want a premium in there, but there's also a heap of those sort of cheaper guys that you could look at and have 20 points less potentially, but save 400 grand. So, I just can't see a world where Fenua Blake is a good starter for round one with the cap that we've got in a round one cap. DWZ is going to be almost the same story. And I always feel bad with these teams that kind of have all these guys that are priced so high because they've had such a good season because it's like, well, it's really hard to start with any of them. And DWZ is the same. He averaged 70 points a game. He's not been better than mid-50s before. And most of the time he's been in the 40s. Like, He's had 80-minute seasons, Robbie, where he's averaged 36, 40, and 42 points per game. And he busts out 70 points per game. And he's the only winger that you will find who had as much base attack as what he had base. His base was 25 a game in Raw, and his offloads and tackle breaks were at 25 per game as well. Uh, That's ridiculous. And again, like we said with Fenua Blake, that's a number that's a huge anomaly. You, You never see that. So to be able to see it again this year, it's highly unlikely for it to repeat. Uh, and at 790000 if you if you thought it would repeat, you could you could argue that he's going to be your premium guy you're going to pay for, like a Marju, like an Asako, and like these other guys. But I, I just don't see any way that he can. Um, his scores are boosted by some big tons as well. So I think a lot of people forget that he, he was actually out until round seven last year. And he was pretty mediocre when he came back. He had 36, 99, 38, 52, and 50. And that included three tries in those five um, games. But then he busted out 128, 85, 29, and 175. And the 175 in particular, when it's only across a 17-game season, really boosted his average. And I think that we sort of built a false narrative for ourselves in the middle of last season where we saw that middle run and went, wow, he's just he's running off the back of this Warriors team and he's going to keep scoring. And he did keep scoring, but in DWZ fashion, the, the big scores didn't come with those. So he had a, you know, 64 points with the try, 48 points with the try, 67 with the try, 58 with the try to round out the, the back third of the season. And that's sort of beat him a lot of the time. I think that those couple of big games really just boosted his averages and he had a really good middle run, which I'm not going to discredit him too much, but a lot of guys with talent can have those runs even if they're not particularly super coach relevant. So I could see him getting to 60 plus again. Uh, but I can't see him getting to 70-plus again, and therefore you cannot possibly start with him. Yeah, He's, he, he fits the mould exactly like an Alex Johnston where you really only want to get him for the runs. I don't see the run there. And really, when I'm when I'm looking at getting my round one team, I'm trying to minimise as much risk as I can. DWZ just has red risk written all over him, and I don't see him as, if you start with him, someone that's going to win you super coach, but I do see him as someone that could lose you super coach starting with him. So there is no way I could start with him at 720000 Yeah, and look, that, that 175 was against the Dragons when they were really flailing. Um, it wasn't at the start Dragons either, but you know, if you think that that can happen again, then go buy him before round seven when he plays the Dragons and the Titans back-to-back. You know, see you'll probably get him at 200 grand less than potentially. So there's certainly a time to target him if you believe in him, but it's just not for round one. All right. RTS, the fallen returning gun, 
it's really hard to know what to make of RTS because we say not to take too much out of trials, uh, but he looked really good in the trials. And then obviously Fox have started doing the supercoach scoring and stuff a little bit. And you sort of see that he throws out an 80 plus a game and stuff. And he has like two line breaks, try, assist, try. And all of a sudden it's just in fully fledged Roger Tuovar's checks, the best center wing that you can have mode for a couple of days there. 540,000. Um, he's a decent price. You can definitely put him in there. He hasn't played in the NRL since 2021 where he scored 67 points a game. And that was actually a resurgent year because the year before in 2020, he was only at 59. He's going to be playing center, Robbie. Um, it is a different position, although he's playing there in rugby union. So I guess people could hang their hat on that. It's one of those things where it's a lot of unknowns, but at 540K, you can definitely take the punt. Um, and certainly he's got the pedigree where he's got the work rate, the tackle breaks and the attack where you can say, look, at 540K, I'm going to bank on him. And at 30 years of age, too, I will say, it's not like he's coming across at 35 after having a rugby union superannuation fund cash in. He's, he's still young enough where he can still perform at a high level. Have you got RTS in your side at the moment? Um, I do, um, after watching me in the trials. And I'm really torn because, as you said, you know, you don't want to you know, base a season off, you know, seeing a couple of games in trials because, obviously, you know, you know, rotations, different teams and whatnot. But it almost just felt like he hadn't left for the past um, three uh, three seasons. Uh, you, know, was, you know, base was really good. And I guess the thing is we want to, you know, want to see him with hands on the ball and have that licence to roam like a Joey Manu. And, you know, we know how effective Joey Manu uh, was when he uh, had that licence to roam around and get his hands on the ball. I think that's what we're real, people are really buying for with that belief. I think if you know, I think if he's really just stuck on the left-hand side, I think you're really buying him um, at about his value. He might have a little bit of extra points, but if you see him moving around the field, then, you know, who knows, there might be a lot of upside on, on the attacking front. I see it as a, a, a low-risk play where, at worst, I feel like it'll be averaging uh, at his price. So... There's really, it's really an upside pick. That's why I've got him in my side at the moment. He's a good price. Um, and, yeah, we, um, I think once they get through that tough run and he gets a little bit more settled, he'll just only improve from that. Yeah, I don't think you can really go wrong with it because um, it's not going to hurt you too much. Um, at the same time, too, if you don't have him in, I'm not sure that he'll hurt you too much either. And my plan with RTS myself is, particularly because he's been out for a few years uh, and they've got the Sharks in Melbourne to start with, and Melbourne's away in Amy Park, by the way. I'm going to see what it's like the first two games for the Warriors, and I'm going to watch him for the Sharks in Melbourne. And I dare say, like, because obviously after round three, we've got the first first round of price rises and drops. We can see in our team who's failing and who's not, and there's going to be guys that you're going to want to get rid of or maybe guys that you um, failed putting in your side or, or maybe just like you go Greg Marju when he goes 20-20 and he's going to lose 100 grand and you go, look, I'm just going to parachute out of that. Uh if Roger's looking good, he's the perfect guy to downgrade to. Uh, and he's then going to have a, a Canberra game at home and run into a, a much better run of games from round three to round eight. And you can get him for that. If he doesn't have the work rate or he's not looking fantastic or he scored 40s, then you can just leave him, I think, and it's okay. So that's basically my plan with him. Um, but anyone like you, Robbie, that's got him in, I, I, I do see him as one of the options. Uh, and he certainly did look good in the trial. I'm probably really interested just to watch him because I thought coming back after a few years, he wouldn't look as good as what he did. But like you said, it looked like that he hadn't left. So were you surprised by how good he looked? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it's, um, you know, obviously unions a little bit different uh, 
in terms of the speed and physicality, I feel. But, um, yeah, he just um, really just um, looked like he hadn't left, really. I mean, he's just playing a different position. But, um, yeah, he looked look really good. He'll be a, a benefit to the Warriors. So I reckon that's a big, big tick on their part. Yeah, he'd be the number one guy in that back line that I'd be targeting um, if I wanted a super coach option. Tohu Harris, when we're talking about the Ford guns, he uh, had another big season, 67 points per game. I think the biggest number for him was 20 because that was the amount of games that he played. And I'm always worried about Tohu because whenever I bring him in, he burns me. Like he gets injured that game or he gets injured two games later. He plods along for a few and then gets hurt. It always happens. In 2021 and 2022, he played 15 games in each of those seasons and it's always a worry with him. And it's always a a lot of the time a short-term injury too. So you end up holding him for one or two weeks, which really hurts too. But last year he was quite durable. Uh, at 67 points per game was six points up from 2022. So all in all, um, not a career season, but a great season from him. And at his age, you know, it was a, a pretty good resurgence. Fast forward to 2024, he comes in at 680,000. And the biggest piece of value I think that Tohu Harris is going to lose is the fact that he's secondary forward only. And I'm just going to say outright, that just completely cancels him out. Um, his age, coupled with the fact that he has to be second row forward, I really just don't like it. Um, and with his injury history as well, you know, it's just too hard for me to go there. He doesn't have any tons, um, but he's very, very consistent at going 60 plus 70% of the time, which he does often. Uh, and even the 70 pluses, he gets there at a high rate as well. But he's not going to hurt you if you don't have him at 680,000 in your second row forward. If he was at front row forward, Robbie, I think there could be an argument for Tohu with his 53 base that you can pay that for him at front row as a premium option that's a bit cheaper than the other guys. But at second row forward, even if it wasn't the year of the mid-ranger, I'd be hard-pressed to put him in over you know some of the other guns around the same price. Yeah, that you know, losing that front row jaw just kills him as an option in my mind. You know, I, I don't think they'll be. I think getting twenty seasons a game out of him is an outlier. I really think he's more at the, you know, fifteen. So really, you know, the durability in terms of having him as a consistent player, paying six eighty, is just a risk that I don't feel like I'd want to take. Um, if he did pick up the front row jewel um, and he was still tracking well, that's when I might be interested. But really, at second row forward, he's not an option. Yeah, and just to highlight how much it hurts you when you've got guys that miss games like him, uh, it's not just the games that they miss. It's the games they come back from and reduce minutes after you hold them. It's the games that they go down in. So to start last year, he played 80, 80, 80, and then 45 minutes when he got hurt. Miss the next week and you have to hold him miss the next week and you have to hold him. Then he comes back and plays 62 minutes because he's working his way back in. Then he plays 38 minutes against the Storm because he gets hurt again, and then he's out. Comes back and plays 80 for three games in a uh, five games in a row, basically 73 to 80. Uh, and then he goes to 68, 71, 59, 36, and 56 minutes before he ramps back up his minutes again. You know, it's, it's a roller coaster of minutes where maybe the plan is to play him 80, but you always end up with all these games where he's either hurt during it or he's coming back and he's doing reduced minutes. And at his age, like the other question I'll pose to you, Robbie, can he even do the 68 minutes a game that he averaged last year? And then include the injury-affected games as well, obviously. You know, he's meant to play 80. I kind of think that they're maybe going to have an average of between 62 and 65 minutes and he's actually going to drop a few minutes. Yeah, and especially with a few of the acquisitions, so obviously like K-Paul that they picked up, you know, he's, he's most likely going to play 80 on an edge, um, you got on the other side um, the the um, who's the back Jackson Ford 
Jackson Ford, you know, he, you know, he'd probably be good for 65, 70 minutes and he's young and up and coming as well. So you really look at it and, you know, he's in competition with the, obviously the AFB and uh, Nikora is uh, probably going to play through the middle and Barnett. So I do, uh, at 68 minutes average, although those might have been injury impacted a few of those, I feel like that's where he's going to be at really. And you're paying for a, you're paying for a guy that's going to be about 65 minutes, but really that, that's going to translate in a down, uh, a reduced average. Yep, 100%. Uh, I was actually quite interested in Barnett in draft. I thought that he was really good for them, and I thought he was a pretty good late draft target, but I just got pipped. Uh, he went from 51 points per game in 2022 to 60 points per game in 2023. That was despite him dropping seven minutes a game. Uh, 59 minutes a game is the lowest that he's played, but he was starting 10 for a lot of the year, so starting props different for him. Uh, his game translates pretty well, though. He had a 49 raw base in his 59 minutes, uh, and he's been a guy that's always had a little bit of an offload, um, nine points per game in base attack. So it gave him a pretty good floor of high 50s. Uh, he's a guy that can normally score some tries, but he, amazingly enough, in his 12 games, just had the one game with a try, but it was a double where he scored 126 against your Eels, mate. So put it on them. But uh, aside from that, he was just super consistent. His lowest score uh, was 37. Um, but after that, 45, and then after that, he's going 50-plus for the majority of his games. So 80% of the time, he was 50-plus, and at his price point, that was pretty good. I guess when I looked at him, Robbie, my issue was I sort of went, look, if I'm going to get a sort of a mid-range type of guy you know, that's going to give me 55 to 60 points rather than out-and-out gun, can Barnett do it? And he's at 615,000 now because he averaged at 60. Um, if he was at that 500 mark he was a year before, I'd actually be really interested. He is a guy that's dual this year, though, as well. So that's going to make it super interesting because you can pay 615 and put him at your front row. Uh, and I would, I'm not going to do it, and I'm not going to suggest it's a great option. But if I could guarantee his minutes were going to be around 60 at front row again, and he was going to be able to maintain that PPM as a front rower again. I would almost pay the 600 odd K to have a sort of a 61, 62 point average at front row forward. Um, just to just to leave there and not have to worry about it. It's one of those type of years at front row. So I do think that he's he's relevant. Uh, it's just a hard price to pay. It's a little awkward. Yeah, it's a bit hard where, you know, he's obviously around that taps, uh, Tapani price range. We pay a little bit more. I see him as just a, a Max King. That's uh, probably uh, $70,000 more where, you know, I see Max King getting more minutes in that Bulldogs rotation being that 60-minute player and at a, about a one, one point PPM. So, really, I feel like you, you can get the same type of player at a little bit cheaper. But I'll put this to you, Barnsley. Can you imagine a situation just say SJ and DWZ go down and we get a goal-kicking Mitch Barnett front row forward? Oh, I've, that's, I've always been on that. I, I bought him like three different times at Newcastle when I think two of the three kicked and it was amazing. But, <laughs> yeah, if he's goal-kicking, oh, my God, I would be all over it as a front rower that can goal-kick. Imagine that. <laughs> It'd be one of the few areas. But, yeah, he's just at that price where I think, you know, you can use your money uh, better elsewhere, get someone similar for a bit cheaper. So, Wade Egan. Came over from Penrith and uh, actually had a career year. Um, he's gone from 47 points per game in 2022 up to 56 in 2023. Uh, it was a big jump. He solidified himself as a pretty interesting hooker to consider in super coach. I think one of the things that we all know, though, is um, he, he's someone who also got injured for one-off games early a few times, uh, and that sort of really hurt him within the first half of the season. 
there were three separate injuries he had that kept him out from between one and two weeks uh, and also affected his minutes too. I think that he had two concussions in the first 11 rounds from memory um, and that sort of became an issue for him as well. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like you go to uh, like round 24, he only played his 23 minutes. So his minutes were all over the shop. Um, it does mean that there is a bit of A because he had a 23-minute, 36, 39-minute game, all injury impacted, and then also some other games where he played off the bench or uh, played reduced minutes from his normal 80. So interesting because if you look at his true averages without those injury-affected few, it's actually 60-plus. And he is a guy that's going to come in, I'm not going to say cheap, but for hooker, it's palatable to pay 576000 I guess the comparisons are going to be Appy because Appy is almost exactly the same price, five seventy six, and that's going to be a comparison that Appy's going to win if he's got the goal kicking. But if he doesn't have the goal kicking and he's out round one, then who else is around that price point? We do have a Reese Robson. He had a pretty down year though. Um, I kind of like Wade Egan better, but it's just hard at hooker because you're looking at these guys in the five hundreds, and really Wade Egan probably deserves to be looked at, but. His base was a bit poorer than some of these other guys as well. Not poorer than Appy, but certainly poorer than a Robson. 38 base in 66 minutes a game isn't great for Hooker. Um, he did have some good try assists, but one of the reasons why he went so well last year, Robbie, he started off the season with four tries in a row, and that's what got everyone interested. Four weeks in a row with tries from round one, and he went 99, 88, 71, and 64 points. So I think that the big question for me is, was that the way, the new Wade Egan that's matured as a footballer at age 26 and he's just a gun? Uh, and then he just got off off the rails a little bit because he got injured after that and he was just always seemingly injured and he couldn't quite get back to that early season form? Or was that just a complete anomaly and it was just really lucky that he started scoring tries for the first month? You know, I think that's a big question because after the first month, he only scored one try for the next 23 rounds. Yeah, I don't think you'll see the uh, try scoring run he you know, had at the start of last year. But really, I think like I, I, I haven't considered him just because he, he is risky in terms of his injury history. And um, you know, you're paying five seventy six, and you know he's a head knock away. And you know these head knocks as well have you know occurred early in the game as well. I've, I've found as well. So really, you, you really get hurt from that uh, aspect. Um, I feel like in the hooker position, you're really we're all trying to search for that Wade Egan in FY 2024, you know, being cheap and goes on this run and, you know, obviously spikes in price. Um, yeah, I think just with the Appy news and that, like, you better serve going to uh, going to him when you know you've got that uh, bit of security on the goal kicking. Uh, he's that focal point of that Tigers attack. The Tigers have got a good draw as well, whereas, you know, the Warriors, the draw is a bit harder than I would consider it was last year. Um, so, you know, all respect to him for uh, what he achieved early on last year, but I feel it's an outlier and really it's a, a risk I wouldn't want to take. Yep. One of the mids and cheapies. So I have seen some teams that, does, that don't have Luke Metcalf at six that have been predicted teams for round one. I can't see how he's not six. I think that he will be. He's coming off a year where he scored 47 points per game. It's the first year, really, where he got a chance to start. Started 12 games. Uh, he's going to come in as a 5'8", who is 483,000. Now, I think maybe you, but certainly a lot of people like me, had Campbell in there at that 400s price point, and we're kind of searching for these guys, even a Braden Trindle, to try and find guys that you don't need to spend on at 5'8". Uh, he's been touted as a little bit of a smoky Luke Metcalf in that 400s category. 
And I'm having a look at it. And look, he, he, he did show some good things last year at times. He did have a game where he busted out 112 points um, with two tries. And really, in his first couple of months of football, he actually scored half the time, um, which was impressive. And it showed a good running game. But then after that, for his last five weeks of games, you actually saw his floor, which was pretty scary. Uh, for his last five games, he went 30, 26, 45 with a try, 21. And 27, although that was in 42 minutes. But even if you exclude that, uh, he was basically going less than 30 without scoring a try. That unfortunately translates a lot with his stats. He only had a 24 raw base. And his base attack wasn't great either for a half. Gave him a 34 floor. Now, without goal kicking and with SJ being so dominant, I can't actually see him being an option at that price at all. Um, But he has been talked about a little bit as a bit of a forgotten type pod that you could throw in at six. Yeah, I mean, that floor just kills him. Like, as you saw, you know, you're getting 30s and that you're really relying on his attack to increase. And when you've got SJ who's so ball dominant and really he's playing on the wrong side as well, um, I just don't see um, how there's any value there really. Um, And and one thing with Metcalf as well, he has had a poor injury history as well with his – with his uh, hamstrings and uh, soft tissue injuries as well. So, you know, what what's to say that that doesn't continue um, with him? Uh, it'd be good to see him get a pro on one and grow a little bit more. He'd probably be more on the watch, uh, the watch list. So if one of these cheapies uh, in the 5'8 uh, position managed to get uh, to a similar price to him, then I probably might look at him if, if I see some good signs there from him. So a final mid-range guy, and he's the cheapest in the Warriors as an option. Uh, Talpiki is 277700 Apologise if I mispronounce that. I don't, I'll uh, get better on that one over the first couple of rounds. But he's a full-back centre-wing option. And look, especially with the dearth of cheapies like we've spoken about in that centre-wing, he's come up on a lot of teams' radars. He's actually pretty heavily owned. There was news at CNK, who we haven't spoken about because he's going to be out, is not going to return until maybe round four-ish. Um, so all of a sudden this guy's touted as a starting number one. It normally would be a slam dunk, Robbie. Um, we do only have five games from him last year where he averaged 34 points a game. Uh, again, not a great sample size to know, and he is going to be starting at fullback, which he wasn't particularly, you know, all the time last year. Um, I am someone who hasn't really looked at him at all because I was of the belief that I was really sketchy on the CNK timeframes because First of all, he was going to be he was going to be in doubt for round one, and then that turned into in the next couple of rounds. And then they said, well, "We're going to be cautious. We're going to bring him back around round four because we want to be cautious with him." And I never liked that because that word "cautious" means he could come back earlier if he needed to. Uh, and I do worry this far out from, especially with the split round. You know, the round one's actually two weeks. We've got a lot of weeks before round four, and I can just see a possibility that CNK comes back round three and you don't get any rise out of this guy, and he just sits there at 277000 not even bottom dollar. And that's a bit of an issue. Um, I spoke about Bostock being in my side. He's only 25 30k more than what Talpiki is. So to me, you know Bostock's there, you know he's playing, you know he's got a decent draw, and he's not going to get... He's not under threat anyway for his job. I just see that as an easier one than going Talpiki, but... Um, 
certainly a lot of people are buying into him. Yeah, I mean, I've got him in just as a placer at the moment, just with very little confidence that he's going to get that prolonged run. And, you know, I think a lot of coaches obviously get trapped seeing a you know, 277k guy starting in a fullback position. You can play in CTW. It's, you know, it's, it's things dreams are made of, but really the job security is extremely poor. So um, without uh, concrete news about CNK's return, you're really taking a gamble there. Um, and, you know, if if it is a round four return for, you know, CNK, you're really only getting one price rise before you've got a guy that's, you know, less than 300 grand sitting there. Um, and what do you do at that point unless cheapies come through and you can downgrade him or shift him on? So um, I've got him there just as a placeholder while TLT comes up. Uh, but I'm not particularly keen to have him in my round one uh, side. So definitely wouldn't be playing him uh, just from what I've seen. And obviously they've got a, a little bit of a tough draw um, the first couple of games as well. Um, so, look, Seng Hay has been known to get injured over the years. So, you know, he might become relevant throughout the year at some point. But, yeah, round one, there's a lot of red flags. Yeah, and we did say that there is, you know, it is hard because there isn't a huge amount of options. And there, there is always a chance that CNK is out longer and maybe you get lucky with it. But I just think that when you're benchmarking him, I'd rather Bostock. Yeah. I'd also rather Burbo. Like, Burbo's another one with red flags. Like, he could lose his job to Schuster. But the fact that he's a second rower, he's going to play 80 minutes, um, probably gives me a little bit more um, belief in it, in him still getting decent minutes afterwards, potentially, in Schuster's history as well isn't CNK's history, like CNK is a gun, Schuster is not, so he could see Schuster coming off the bench. So, I mean, I've got both of those guys, and that's probably who you're benchmarking against, right? Like, do you prefer Telpiki over a, a Burbo, over a Bostock, um, even over, you know, whoever, the if, a, if the Raiders get a beneficiary at 5'8", like Strange, that can be in your centre wing, you know, I'd, I'd prefer those guys over over someone like him. Are you pretty much on the same page with that? Yeah, I mean, you go through every every name rattled off there. Yeah, there's a, a Kane Bradley as well. You can consider them never heard of and everything like that. It's just that every I, I think this is probably one of the first years that I've I've, I've been super coached that every cheapy prospect that we had has got poor job security, and you're really throwing a dart at a board at the end of the day and hoping that you hoping that you land. Um, really, even a Jacob Gagai who's bottom price, you know, he'll get he'll suck a lot of people in, but really yeah, there's a lot of red, red flags about his security. It's just, I guess people have just got to decide, go with your gut on, you know, what you know and who you think is going to obviously have the best, uh, you know, best security in a, in a poor bunch, but also who has that likelihood of you know, really scoring well early and getting their price moving because their time in uh, first grade could be limited. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, I, I'm happy to do it with Gagli, even though I know he could be out because if you've got a 200K guy sitting there, you're not going to lose any money and you're not, you haven't wasted money sitting on the bench either. If you've got 77000 extra sitting on the bench at the price point that Tarp Peaky is, then it's a lot more of a worry because he can actually lose money and also you can't use that extra 70K anywhere, whereas the bottom dollar guy, people nuff all the time. Some you know To start the year, there's a lot of head-to-head guys with, with two nuffs in their team. He can just become enough until he gets an injury and comes back again. It doesn't really hurt you too much. So, look, that is the podcast for the Dolphins and the Warriors. Robbie, I really appreciate your podcast debut, mate. I uh, I needed someone to talk Warriors and Dolphins with me, and you came through, gave us a lot of good insight, a lot of good chat. So thanks very much for jumping on the All-Stars podcast. Thanks for having Barnsley. Um, yeah, uh, good luck this year, and hopefully get another run in our first grade soon.
You certainly will off that performance, mate. Some great hit-ups. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can download, stream, and find us on SoundCloud, Amazon, iTunes, Spotify. Certainly subscribe, though, then you'll get the episode straight away. Jump on and follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All-Stars. Jump on our great partners. Betting partner of the All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. Your code or affiliate code is All-Stars when you sign up to get some great deals. And so they know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take care of you. And speaking about some great deals, One World Courier, go onto their website, sign up, say that All-Stars is where you heard from, and they will give you some of the best shipping rates that you can get for your business that you are shipping goods for, whether it's small or medium, they'll have you covered. Thanks very much for listening. Enjoy the games this week. We've got two games. We'll have a TLT again on Tuesday night with me and Billy. Until then, enjoy your footy this round. We'll chat again real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.